right, good morning and welcome to South Lansing Christian Church. As Wally said earlier, my name is Eric Sheldon and I am the young adults pastor here at South Lansing Christian Church. I am so glad that you guys have joined us this morning, whether it is in person or online. Uh, Today we are setting our Christmas Advent series uh, that we have aptly named Christmas Presents. And an integral part of that is going to be the lighting of candles on our Advent wreath. Uh, And we're going to light these every single Sunday morning, uh, kind of as an example and as a reminder for us to slow down and basically think about these Christmas presents that God has given us. So today, I am lighting the candle of hope uh, to represent what we're going to be talking about tonight. Also, bonus, if you didn't see that our regular candle is uh, lit today, that means we're going to have a baptism later today, so you can look forward to that as well. So we're just going to let that sit there, and hopefully it doesn't burn down the church while I'm speaking. So uh, with that, this morning, uh, like I said, I get to talk to you about hope. Uh, And I'm super excited about that because hope is one of those things in my life that has touched the most important parts, but also some of the most traumatic parts of my life. Uh, Yay, trauma, right? All of us are excited about trauma. Or maybe not, I guess. I guess all the millennials decide to stay home today because no one else in here is excited about trauma. I mean, fair enough, uh, but the rest of you could at least give me some pity laughs and pretend I'm not above that at all. Thank you, thank you. So hope is something that I desperately needed as a kid. Uh, As a child of divorce, uh, the way I viewed relationships and friendships was permanently altered uh, by the decisions that my parents made. Uh, Hope was what kept a lot of my relationships and friendships going as as an insecure student. As a person who experienced the death of a parent, hope that they didn't suffer when they passed and hope that they're in a better place is something that has Uh, been across my thoughts regularly. As someone who struggles with depression, especially around this time of year, hope has to be a part of my daily life. Someone who works, as someone who works with teenagers that struggle with so much crap and high expectations, hope has to be something I cling to because when you see a student suffer through something, you can't help but suffer with them too. And hope has had to become a central pillar of my life because we live in a broken world and frankly, I need it to survive. Even as a kid, hope was something that I felt that I needed. It's not something that I matured into. It's not something that I learned that I needed as I started coming to church. It's something that I felt I needed. And I think that says something about humanity. You know, there's something in us that says that we need something better. Something that seeks and longs for a better future. And it's something that we can't help but feel attracted to. That's what hope is. You know, my very first interaction with hope uh, that I remember in my life was when my parents got divorced. I was about five, and I remember desperately hoping that things wouldn't be the way they were. I don't know if I hoped that they would get back together, uh, because I couldn't even begin to understand what was going through my parents' minds or what was going on. Uh, but I remember that I know I hoped for something better than what I had. Fast forward a couple of years, and I discovered a TV show called Digimon. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's something that's near and dear to my heart, and maybe you've heard of it. 
Uh, and maybe you've confused it with a vastly other popular TV show that ends in the same other last three words. Uh, Pokemon. It's weird and it's nerdy and it has way too much going on to clearly summarize it in one sentence. I mean, look at that character design. If that doesn't scream late 90s, I don't really know what does. And for a late 90s cartoon, this show had a lot going on. You know, it handled a lot of mature themes, things like divorce, uh, depression, death, good versus evil. What is evil? Just to name a few. But in this show, there is a set of brothers uh, named Matt and TK, and they were also living in the wake of their parents' divorce. And I connected so much to their characters, how they interacted with each other as siblings, how they interacted with their friends, and how they interacted with their own trauma. And as the show progressed, themes of hope and friendship were deeply tied to their characters and their growth, which is stuff that I struggled with as a teenager and stuff that I continue to struggle with regularly. These two characters and their journey helped me to cope growing up. And as I continued to watch the show and rewatch the show as a preteen, as a teenager, and now uh, <laughs> as an adult, uh, I promise it's that good. It's not just nostalgia goggles. You know, Walter has his trees, Wally has his coffee. I have 90s TV shows with cute monsters in them. It's fine, I'm fine. Uh, but <laughs> something I've realized over the years is that there is something wrong with the show's representation of hope. It feels incomplete, empty, misguided. But that's not necessarily the show's fault because I believe that the world in general has a misguided or incomplete view of hope or what it can be. So what exactly is hope? Well, if we look at the Merriam-Webster dictionary, we get a couple definitions. We get a desire accompanied by the expectation or belief in fulfillment, the expectation that something is going to happen, that's going to be fulfilled, that's going to end in success. Uh, someone or something on which we center our hopes, or something desired or hoped for, whether that's for the coming year or in the coming moments. And even that seems a little bit strong compared to the hope that I often see people rely on. You know, nowadays we use hope in a different way than what we see it in this definition and what we see in the Bible. Hope as we use it is all based on whims and emotions. The idea that we are powerless and if we just put enough good vibes out into the universe, the world might take a pity on us and give us a break for just a moment. We treat hope like it's this fragile thing that we are afraid to have at times because we think there's a chance that we're going to be let down. And that's not right either. That's not biblical hope. Something I think humanity does get right, though, is this idea that all of our hopes are centered on something. And what our hopes are centered on determines how powerful that hope is. For example, remember back in high school with me. For some of you, it's not that long ago. For some of you, it kind of is. I'm sorry. <laughs> But the thing is, is that if you remember that, sometimes it felt like your entire life, your hopes, your dreams rested upon whether this boy or this girl liked, liked you back. It's okay, you can admit it. You've all grown, you've all matured, you're past that, you're better than that. But looking back probably wasn't the smartest thing to put your hopes in at the time. Especially because we all know the way teenage crushes work. 
So where do we find what real hope is? Well, if it isn't obvious at this point, real hope is found in the Bible. Specifically, we're going to talk about how where it is in the Christmas story today. The first thing that we learn about biblical hope right away is that biblical hope uh, is based in promises. More specifically, God's promises. In Paul's letters to the church in Rome, he tells us this. If you guys want to turn to Romans 15.4, you can go ahead and take a moment to do that, or it will be on the screen behind me. So, starting at Romans 15, verse 4, Paul says this. Such things were written in Scripture long ago to teach us, and the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. When you look for Scripture about hope in the Bible, you'll notice that all these Scriptures are surrounded by stories of when God intervenes to help his people. You will see reminders to stay faithful, like Abraham and Sarah as they left their hometown of Ur to find this unknown land that God promised them. You see reminders of how good God is and how faithful he was to Moses as he helped Moses save the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. We read short snippets of stories about how the Israels conquered the land that God had promised to their ancestors. And story after story after story about how God saved Israel when they needed him most, just like he promised he would. Around the time of Jesus' birth, Israel is waiting on God to show up like that again. Like he said he was going to. And you see, Israel was not in exactly a good place. For generations, they had been a people without a home or a place, exiles among the lands of their enemies. And eventually their enemies were conquered, but they were still surrounded by people who didn't really appreciate their customs or their way of life. They needed to be rescued. They needed a savior. They needed the Messiah that God had promised, the Messiah that would come to put God's kingdom in place, a savior who would save and take away sin and suffering. Israel had a hope that God would do what he said he would do, because he was faithful in the past, and they had no reason to believe that he would fail them this time. And so they waited. Months before Jesus was born, we are given the story about how God had intervened in the life of Jesus' mother and one of her relatives named Elizabeth. So if you want to turn to the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're going to be in the first chapter here for a moment, um, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the baby will be born holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth had become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, and she conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of the Lord will never fare. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a grad client, exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said. So Mary was told by an angel that she would become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Messiah, and that her barren relative would also give birth. Mary, having heard this, went to meet her relative. She didn't mosey on down there whenever she had a spare day. She decided to go right away. And I can imagine Mary and her mind as a Jewish woman remembering the stories of her ancestors, Abraham and Sarah, as they ran, as she ran. They too were too old to conceive, and yet God blessed them with children. She went expecting her relative to be pregnant. Biblical hope is more than just waiting around for God to fulfill his promises. Hope is expectant. When you truly hope for something, you expect that it's going to happen. You might not know when or how, but you know that God is going to come through. Hope isn't ignoring the odds or circumstances. It's knowing and trusting God is going to be there despite those. Hope doesn't just wait. It prepares. It expects God to show up because he has done it before, and he will do it again. And Mary expects her relative to be pregnant because God keeps his promises. Scripture is filled with story after story of God fulfilling his promises to his people. The Bible offers this hope that isn't fragile. It's not based on our time or year or our circumstances. It's not based on political alignment or the state of the economy. But it's one that's rooted in God's promises and his faithfulness. Christmas seems to be the time of year when people tend to have the most hope full of goodwill energy, and people are more generous and joyous because of the holidays. Here's the problem, though, is that we use Christmas like most teenagers use energy drinks. They're a quick boost to make it through the rest of the year and propel us into the next. It's full of sugar and false promises, and who knows what kind of weird ten-syllable chemicals. It's temporary, and it doesn't last long. And instead of treating hope like this vaccine powered by God's promises to fight life day after day, we take this little Dixie cup of Christmas cough medicine and ignore the bitter capitalistic aftertaste. This is not the hope that the heroes of the Bible aspire for us to have. If we go back to Paul's letter to the church, in Rome, he tells us a lot about what real hope is. So Romans 8, starting at verse 18, Paul tells the church this. 
Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is eagerly waiting for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believe believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We are given this hope when we are saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we must look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. In addition to being expecting, sure, and constant Biblical hope goes beyond just us in the present, but for all of creation and all of time. Christmas is a great reminder of the hope that God gave us through his son, but it can't be what stops us. We shouldn't stop there because biblical hope doesn't stop there. God's hope starts all the way at the beginning of creation. Humanity wasn't the only thing broken in the fall. Creation was stuck in the collateral damage of our mistake and is also waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled when a new heaven and a new earth are created. All of creation, including us, longs for a hope that can satisfy and only come from God's promises. And the fulfillment of God's promise starts in a small town called Bethlehem. It starts with a poor woman named Mary who had real hope and believed that God would do what he said he would do. That baby was born in a manger and became hope to the world. Not because it was shiny and new, and not because it got the attention of angels and wise men, but because it was the fulfillment of God's promises wrapped in flesh. That baby would grow into a boy that would attract the broken and weary because of the hope that he would offer them. He would anger the most powerful and rich because he spoke of a hope that didn't rely on money or status or happiness, but hope that came from God. Eventually, that baby would be betrayed and arrested and hung on a cross, clinging to the hope that he came to give humanity as he shouted the words, Father, why have you forsaken me? Biblical scholar William Barclay summarizes hope in this way. The Christian hope is not a cheap hope. It is not immature hope, which is optimistic because it does not see the difficulties and has not encountered the experiences of life. The Christian hope has seen everything and endured everything and still has not despaired because it believes in God. It is not hope in the human spirit, in human goodness, or in human achievement, it is hope in the power of God. It can be very easy to get lost in the gifts and the family and the holiday cheer 
and all of those things in and of themselves are not bad. But when they become the thing that we place our hopes on every December, and for some of us all year round, we're only setting ourselves up for disappointment and failure by false hope. People come and go, money runs out, and Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas thankfully disappears from collective consciousness. <laughs> but the hope found in Jesus Christ is eternal. In a moment, Wally and the worship band will lead us in a few more songs, and we'll have the opportunity to remember and thank God for the hope that he has gifted us, the hope that came in the form of his son, Jesus. Remember his sacrifice by eating this bread that represents his broken body for us. And we honor his memory by drinking juice that represents the blood spilt for our hope. The hope that we find in Scripture is incredibly powerful, and it's unlike anything the world can give us. And I'll admit I didn't understand this hope until I realized that I desperately needed it. And it's kind of weird to hope that you get to that point where you desperately need it too, but I pray that for all of you. And, and if you forget about God's hope, I pray that it happens to you again and again. Because here's the thing, God's hope is the best thing that he can offer us. And it's never too late to rely on God's hope and promises. God's gift of hope waits for you decide, to decide that you need it. Around the room will be staff and elders who wear blue lanyards. And if you've never experienced the kind of hope that the Bible offers us, I implore you to go speak to one of them. If you have questions about it, if it seems too good to be true, even if you want to argue with them about that, I do that all the time. Uh, have a conversation with these people. You should be able to understand and fully receive the gift that God has given you this Christmas season. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for everything you do for us and everything you've done for us, Lord. I pray that as we continue into this Christmas season, Lord, that you can help us uh, enjoy the goodness and the festivities and the joy and the generosity, but also help us to remember that what's really important here, what we should be remembering is the coming of your son, the coming of hope to this world. Lord, help us to remember that in all of our interactions and point people towards you and your hope. Lord, we thank you for everything you've done for us and everything you will do for us. Amen.